This podcast is brought to you by Link, simply the best way to learn languages. After you listen to the podcast, sign up for a free account at Link, L-I-N-G-Q.com, and study the full transcript using Link's revolutionary learning tools. Hi, Jill. Hi, Steve. How are you today? Good, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. Today, I want to talk about two subjects. Uh, for the first few minutes, let's talk a little bit about accents, because people have asked us, mm-hmm. should they copy or should they try to listen to different kinds of accents, which accents should they copy, and so forth. So we can talk a bit about that, mm-hmm. and then we'll see how much time we have left to talk about other subjects. I see there was also a question here about say, tell, and speak. We've done that before. Yes. Yeah, this is an old list. Oh, so this is an old list. We've basically oh, okay. done All everything. Right. Okay, <laughs> accents. What do you think? Uh, when you listen to... Say when you were studying French, did it matter to you whether the person spoke with an accent from northern France, southern France, Quebec? How important was that to you? I don't think I realized. I, I don't... We didn't do a lot of listening. Listening is not something that was uh, really part of the curriculum. You know, isn't that true? Uh, at Link, we stress listening as the m- just about the most important thing mm-hmm. you can do. The easiest thing you can do... Wherever you are, you can listen to your MP3 player. But in school, we just sat there and looked at books. Yeah, and listened to a teacher and giving us grammar rules. And the teacher probably was not a native speaker. Sometimes the teacher wasn't, and sometimes the teacher wasn't. Usually my French teachers, uh, if they were native speakers, came from Quebec. Right. So they had more a Quebecois accent mm-hmm. as opposed to a, a French accent. Mm-hmm. But now that I've listened to more accents and... Uh, just have been exposed to more listening, I, I realize that I, I do prefer, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but I do prefer French accents from France. Right. Now, even within France, there are different accents. Right. But I think you've made, I think, a very important point there. And that is that no matter which language we're learning, we will like some accents better than others. Uh in Spanish, there's a big difference between the Spanish spoken in Spain versus Mexico versus Argentina. In English, we have different accents in England, we have Australian, and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the United States, of course, there are regional differences too. And I know that when I studied different languages, there would be certain speakers, certain narrators, certain voices that I like, that I liked. I remember in, in, uh, in studying Mandarin, certain content I can listen to, and I would listen to 50 times. There were these two comedians. I loved the way they spoke. I loved their accent. I loved their intonation. I liked the rhythm, everything about them. So I could listen over and over. So obviously, if I liked them and I listened to them, I will end up imitating them. Right. So the more you can like a particular accent, probably the easier it will be to imitate it. Mm -hmm. But there is no... I mean, it's up to you. If you live in Quebec, you'll want to speak like all the people around you. Mm -hmm. If you live in southern France, uh, if you live in Australia, you'll want to speak like the others. Mm -hmm. So I I don't think there's a matter of this accent is good, this accent is bad. Yeah, I agree in that you should just focus on one or... I mean, just listen to what you like... And if if there is one you like in particular, then maybe you do want to focus on that one. But it's not bad to also listen to content 
where you know somebody's speaking with a British accent and then something else and somebody's got a Canadian accent and I think it's it's all good well because in a way there are two issues one is the issue of being able to understand mm-hmm. so I think it's very good training as you become more advanced to listen to people who speak with different accents and even to listen to people who mumble <laughs> you know I think you and I speak we try to speak and pronounce quite clearly but a lot of people don't a lot of native speakers use their own language very poorly mm-hmm. they don't make sense mm-hmm. even to other native speakers I've often been in situations where I'm interpreting for someone and I don't understand what they're saying in English right that's a bigger problem than translating into some other <laughs> language so when you get very good at the language you have no trouble with people who mumble you have uh, you can even start to guess at what they're trying to say you're filling in the spaces mm-hmm. that they haven't filled in for you all of this kind of training I think is good but insofar as your own accent is concerned imitate the one you like don't be disappointed if you don't achieve achieve a hundred percent success you know all the people I know who speak very well different languages uh, the fact that they have an accent has never bothered me no no me neither on the other hand you'll sometimes hear someone speak English with a very almost like an American accent that they have imitated from somewhere but they don't speak well mm-hmm. that is almost more uh, disturbs me as a native speaker more than the person who speaks well mm-hmm. with an accent. With an accent. Yeah. No, I, I don't mind accents either. Of course, you have to be able to understand the person. If, if the accent is so strong that you can't understand them, even though they make good use of the vocabulary and the grammar, then that's a problem. But but you know that's rarely the case. Rarely, yeah. People who use the grammar and the phrases and everything correctly. In, a, in other words, normal usage. Mm-hmm. Normally, their accent is understandable. Yeah. Okay, I think we've hit the accent uh, thing. Um, you know, I would like to talk about another subject, and that is, um, it's sort of like environmentalism and the sort of extremist positions that people will take on an issue where they feel they are morally right. Mm-hmm. And this leads then to a lack of tolerance and a lack of willingness to to have a discussion and Mm -hmm. to have a dialogue. And a lack of understanding, too. They're just completely closed off to even hearing about or learning about some of the other positions. I mean, there are many examples. I mean, we can go back a hundred years ago to Russia because I'm reading about Russian history. And, I mean, there were like three or four thousand political assassinations every year because these people, who were largely intellectuals, these were not poor workers by and large, they felt so strongly about their political agenda, Marxism, which they eventually were able to introduce (laughs) to Russia, Mm -hmm. uh, that they felt, uh, you know, the means justified the ends. The, excuse me, the ends justified the means. So they felt so right that, that whatever they were doing, was, they kill whatever, thousands, it didn't and matter. And they justified it to themselves by, by, by basically saying that we, can, we need to do whatever we need to do to achieve the means or the end result the end. that we're looking for. Oh, that's right. I mean, it's like this, uh, the abortion issue, which is a very, very complex issue. 
But one solution that is not a solution is to go shoot the doctors that run abortion and clinics. blow up clinics or blow up clinics. That's just not a solution. No. Uh, and environmentalism suffers from the same fate. And this morning I was reading in the newspaper that David Suzuki, who is a very well-known Canadian environmentalist, mm -hmm. he felt that politicians who don't implement climate change policies should be put in jail. Okay. In other words, we're not going to discuss this issue anymore. We have decided what has to be done. Any politicians that don't implement these policies should be put in jail. It's nice of him that he didn't suggest they be shot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but at, at that point, I mean, global warming is such a complex issue. Even if you accept the fact that humans are responsible for a lot of of, of this sort of man-made carbon dioxide, etc., mm -hmm. etc., what is the uh, relative cost of doing A versus B versus C? Mm -hmm. uh, are we going to save more lives by improving the water quality in the third world? Or are we going to save more lives by doing something else? I mean, all of these things have to be discussed in a logical way. It's like what happened over DDT. They banned DDT because someone wrote a book called The Silent Spring. And apparently it, had it has caused millions of people in the third world mm -hmm. to die from malaria. Right. For no benefit. And there are many, many examples. Like DDT was a, a, a strong chemical used, right? DDT was an ins was an insecticide mm -hmm. which was used to kill the mosquitoes right and amongst other things but it helped to control the population of mosquitoes that were causing malaria mm -hmm. uh, a lady called Rachel somebody wrote a book called The Silent Spring implying that birds were dying by the millions because of the use of DDT it turns out that that was not true it turns out that DDT is relatively benign, but what is has turned out to be very much true is that millions of people have, since the banning of DDT, died from malaria. Not in the United States where this lady wrote her book, but in Africa and other of places. Of course, yeah. So, I think one has to be very careful. Complex issues uh, are complex. And there's n not usually a, a simple solution that can just happen overnight. And, and, I mean, we live, for the most part, in, in societies where we are allowed to have a dialogue, we're allowed to talk, we're allowed to vote, and yes, you can say, well, you know, the uh, corporate world, uh, they have this and that power, which they do, but other groups and organizations and individuals also have power. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I mean, the solution, to my mind, is not this, uh, you know, uh, unilateralism. Like the animal rights people, you know? Anyway, one of my favorite is furs. I think furs are great. <laughs> I think fur is a very environmentally benign uh, uh, type of clothing. And it's one that mankind has been using since, since the beginning. And it is more environmentally benign than cotton, mm -hmm. which is grown in these huge monocultural plantations is more environmentally benign than petrochemical derivatives where we're going underneath the ground to bring up material that's been lying there for millions of years mm -hmm. as long as it's done in a, in a sustainable way mm -hmm. which is largely the case and people aren't uh, uh, using killing endangered animals for their fur there's not too many 
But, you know, first of all, Joe, you got to argue with me. Okay? <laughs> right, you got to say, no, 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 it's not nice to kill those sweet little animals. Well, I do think that. I, I'm not big on fur. Good. I, 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 w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't wear, I don't think I'd wear real fur. I, I, I kind of, but I, I do think there's a use for it. I think people that live in very cold climates who have always used fur to keep warm an animal hide, um, the Inuits still in oh, no, no, Canada. That's and, not the point, though, Joe. Those people, and the people in northern Canada, natives, they trap the animals in order to sell it to New York and Paris and London and Moscow. And that's where the market is for fur. And fur is, uh, uh, in terms of an environmental product, it's very environmental. Uh, if you don't li- I mean, I think the trouble with fur, it's a bit like the forest industry. Oh, the poor tree got cut down. Oh, the poor little animal got killed. But uh, do you eat chicken? Yeah. Do you eat beef? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you eat fish. I mean, that's just the way life is. Um, so I, I have, you know, I'll tell a little story. My wife and I were watching a hockey game in the United States where Mark was playing hockey for Yale University. And we were at some uh, university, you know, in where well, in New York State or Massachusetts or somewhere. I can't remember where. And, and Carmen, my wife, she had on a fur coat, which we had for like 20 years. It was cold. So these students are there, and they're making comments about Carmen's fur coat. So Carmen turns to them and says, Oh, yeah? Do you eat meat? <laughs> so the student says, No, I don't. <laughs> Carmen says, You're a liar, and that's why you're so fat. <laughs> yeah, oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I do buy free-range and organic meat because I, I don't like how animals are treated the animals that we do eat. So I do want chickens to be roaming around. I, I do care about animals, so I wouldn't wear fur. I'm, I'm not fur, into it. But the fur, at least where they trap them up north, they're roaming around yeah. until they get caught in a trap. Yeah, and people who need, I, I agree, like you live in climates like New York and you see a lot of people walking around there in fur coats because it's the warmest thing you can wear. Yeah, but people don't wear them because they're warm. You can get a padded cotton quilted jacket. Some people wear them because they're warm. I know people who have them because they're warm. But also because it's they like statement. them. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think you can say you're only allowed to buy this if, if you get a certificate from the doctor saying that you uh, get the chills, you know. So, um, anyway, we've kind of hit that one for a while. Any more comments on that? That's okay, Jill. You can, you can, so you uh, go and demonstrate? No, I, I don't really take that strong of a position on, on anything. I'm sort of in, in the middle of most things. Uh, so, no, I wouldn't go and, and spray paint people. Actually, when I was in New York, there was a demonstration against fur on the on the street. I think it happens probably all the time. There are right. quite a few people standing around and chanting and with their signs and their posters. And I, I don't... I, I, personally, I don't like fur. I wouldn't buy it. But okay. I'm not going to say that you're a horrible, evil person if, if you choose to have it. So you have your opinions, which you're entitled to, uh, but you're respectful of other people's opinions. That's right. Good. I think that's a good note to end our talk on. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jill. Bye-bye.